Tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. <laughs> it's almost as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. Want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about chapters 82 and 83. So in chapter 82, we have Simon's POV, in which Simon arrives at the room above the chapel where he finds Eb injured on the floor and the fucking mage chanting queen lyrics over her. Simon misreads the situation while the fucking mage begins his evil villain monologue that, among other things, Simon is not the chosen one or the greatest mage, and he can totally fix the humdrum thing, and he's not sorry about anything that happened in, during his rise to power. And Simon, please just give me all your magic so I can fix it. Okay, thanks. Simon is probably clued in that the, ma- that the mage is not, in fact... Uh, neutral lawful but chaotic evil so he gives the mage just enough power to like chill him out and to call the humdrum his shadow self and Simon pours all of his ill-gotten magic right back into the humdrum chapter 83 uh we rewind back like 20 minutes to Baz's POV he is still freaking the fuck out and him and Penny are still speeding towards Watford but because it is winter and it is snowing their car gets stuck and end up running the rest of the way to the school where they bump into Agatha. Um, this is in Penny's POV. Uh, Agatha gives them the gives them useful information, like Simon is in fact on campus, and the fucking mage is evil, and tries to convince both Penny and Baz that they should leave with her. Spoiler alert, they do not. <laughs> in Baz's POV, Penny and Baz, of course, go running towards the direction of Simon. Um, Baz can smell Simon's magic from across campus, and as they get closer, both he and Penny can feel the effects of Simon dumping all of his magic into the humdrum. Baz is not as affected as Penny, so he gets them to the Oracle Room just in time to catch the tail end of the magical transfer between Simon and the humdrum, and Simon's physical-slash-magical-slash-emotional collapse onto the floor. In Penny's POV, Simon moves a little bit, and is thankfully not dead. But Baz is a love-stricken vampire and promptly goes after the fucking mage, who is still trying to get Simon to give him to give him his magic. Simon gets gets with it enough to stop any kind of bloodletting or vampire slaying, but Penny casts Simon says to, you know, get the mage and Baz to listen to him and do what he wants. Simon, having just done all of this intense inner child trauma work, just wants the mage to stop hurting him. Which, because he's the fucking mage and would only actually stop fucking with Simon and this pointless ass prophecy when he's dead, promptly drops dead. <laughs> yep. Um, before we get into it, standard spoiler warning. We're spoiling everything through the end of the book, which we're at now, but uh, nothing from the sequels yet. Also, so in three days, we will be on Instagram Live having a mad tea party, which is where we drink tea and do Mad Libs with all of you. It's super fun. This one's going to be Halloween themed. It's going to be great. If anyone can think of what Halloween themed tea is, please let me know because I've been really (laughs) pondering this and I haven't come up with anything yet. But I think I'm going to make some bat-shaped, like, cookies or something. Oh, cute. I feel like dried flowers feel inherently, like... Ooh, so make, like, a a witch tea with, like, real stuff in there. That's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, on the 31st, we're doing our first live show. We're going to be doing a live recording of The Gaily Prophet. I doubt that there are still tickets left as of the day that this comes out, but there might be. So it's worth checking. And I think that's it. That's all the things that I need to tell you. So uh, we're going to turn to...
Easy come, easy go. Easy come, easy go. Where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. I just want to point out that with all of the bullshit that the fucking mage has done, and he's freaked out by Simon having dragon wings, or like, free, or I'm just like, really? This is the this is the part, of the situation you're gonna focus on is that Simon all of a sudden has dragon wings. I mean, it's pretty surprising. I mean, yes, but I think there's like bigger issues to deal with. You could have been like, actually, I'm just gonna follow this way for later, and we can come back to that at a different time. Fair, very fair. Um, I really appreciate the way that Eb's run spell is working on Agatha here. (laughs) It's like the only light thing that happens in the whole chapter is that Agatha can't stop running even when she's trying to talk to Baz and Penny. So she's like spinning Penny in circles and like jogging backwards and forwards. Yeah, it it is literally the only funny thing that happens in these two chapters and it is pretty funny. Yeah, and we really needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to... Uh, okay, so there's this quote in Simon's POV chapter where he's like, the mage is holding my face like a baby or a dog. And I just, I love it so much because I think it's like, even though Simon's in this sort of like, sort of like numb, like I don't want to think about any of the shit state, he's still picking up and like, you know, this is kind of weird, whatever the mage is doing. Uh, real weird. And also very spot on for the mage's character, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he didn't even wipe the blood off his hands. Which, which yeah, <laughs> gross. So terrible. Let me just smear blood all over your face, Simon. Just, you know. Mm-hmm. Jumping back to Agatha back in this conversation, not back in the time of the... <laughs> Never mind. I also, I really, really loved her it's the mage he's evil of course he is <laughs> like thank you agatha <laughs> just agatha's just so over how nothing goes right for her she's just like oh of course he's fucking evil and trying to kill simon y'all y'all have fun dealing with that yeah um speaking of actually another lighthearted part of these chapter is when <laughs> The humdrum is like, yeah, this is a crap name. And then immediately assuming it's the mages doing. (laughs) And I'm just like, you know what? Fair point, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that too. Um, You know, when Paz and Benny... (sighs) (laughs) Wow, what is my brain? When Baz and Penny uh, enter the... Oracle room where all the action is happening and Baz is like that the it's too loud and strobing to even describe. And I'm like, I've been to clubs like that. (laughs) 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 (sighs) (sighs) Yep. If only some like what the like electronica version of a Bauhaus song or something. Okay, so another line that I really liked was, it's unnaturally dark, like something more than light is missing. Oh, that's exquisite. It's a really good line. I also really like sort of this description of like whatever the humdrum is as like more as being more like an exit wound or an exhaust trail. Like it's so, it's just so good. Mm-hmm. And it is really is just what an excellent encapsulation of like what the humdrum is and then also on the flip side of that like what simon's magic is also so Mm, yeah all right uh this is my last thing in this section which is just baz is gonna eat the fucking mage (laughs) you know i know that the whole the way this chapter ends is very well i also would have been thrilled to have a chapter where baz just fucking sucks the mage dry (laughs) <laughs> um, which I think would have had a very different tone for the next two books. I think. Yeah, I don't think him and Simon effect. would have probably ended up together after after that. Yeah, that is true. But it really would have been nice. Yeah. I 
Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about character development. Um, I have Simon first. Yeah. So, I don't know, he goes on such a roller coaster ride, I feel like, in this little segment here. Because he, he comes onto the scene in this chapter saying, I hope I'm not too late to stop whoever needs to be stopped to help whoever needs to be helped, which is very chosen one right Mm -hmm. and then he's told that he's not the chosen one and the way that we see him react to that is just like this combination of oh thank god and like i always knew i was a fraud and it's like that whole attitude that he starts the chapter with is just immediately like dissolved out of him yeah and i mean it is like I mean, it is like an emotional roller coaster. And I mean, Simon also goes into this being like, okay, cool, the mage is here. I don't have to like think about what's going on. He can just tell me what to do. And then it's like, wait, you want me to do what now? And then it's like, wake up call about being like, oh, no, I have to actually engage with what's happening. (laughs) And it's all awful. Right. So. But then we also get him... I don't remember how many chapters it's been, but this is like, it's barely been 24 hours since him and Baz were in like the woods at night and the humdrum showed up to like try to manipulate, like manipulating Baz. But I mean, Simon, I don't know, calls for, conjures up the humdrum and is like, all right, I think I finally figured this out. (laughs) Like how to deal with all of this shit. Hmm. Um, Which is just... I don't know. I feel like if you just like imagine like someone just dumping out a like 50 pound bag of flour <laughs> into something, mm. it's just sort of like, and the, of course the line that in the book is much more beautiful than that. It's like I've opened all the doors and turn on all the taps and all the wind, you know, I mean, it has that kind of sacrificial air that a lot of chosen ones have, but it mm-hmm. also, I feel like has a little bit of the like kind of my death is inevitable that we've gotten a lot from Simon in this book which is also like upsetting I mean not upsetting but it's kind of like yeah I feel like him from the beginning of chapter 82 to the end of chapter 82 is just like 20 different feelings of happened. yeah totally so I'm gonna talk a little bit about the mage mostly I guess I I want to see if I'm reading this the same like correctly i feel like i've always got i get a little bit confused about what's going on with the mage what his goal is here at the end of the book does he at this point think that he is the chosen one i don't think that he thinks that he's the chosen one but i think that i mean the dude has a pretty huge ego i think he's just kind of like well simon's not the chosen one so i guess i better take that mantle up to end the fight the humdrum and also murder everyone who stands in my way. It's the line where he says, I can't fix you, but I can relieve you. I can fulfill the prophecy. And if he's not fulfilling the prophecy by making a different chosen one or by fixing Simon, but instead by taking Simon's power into himself, that feels like, I mean, if the prophecy depends on there being a chosen one. I mean, oh, okay, I see. Like, is he thinking that once he takes all of Simon's magic, that would make him the chosen one? Or basically that he always was the chosen one and he created Simon as like part of his like path to recognizing his chosen oneliness. He's like, oh, I made you so that I could access the power that I needed to be able to fulfill my, mm. my you know, fate as the actual chosen one. I feel like maybe he does. Partly because I, I mean, I guess I don't necessarily think that there is a rational way about thinking about whatever is going on. Um, just because I feel like this prophecy just don't, does sound like some bullshit. <laughs> but I think that, I think a little bit like the, that the, I mean, obviously the mage is like multiple times that he's not sorry about what he has done mm-hmm. to get here. And I think but I do maybe think that he still needs a justification in his own mind as to like why he's not the villain. Mm. Even though obviously he does a terrible job because he is totally 100% the villain. Um, and I think that actually fits really well into it if he's just like, right, like you're you are not the chosen one, Simon. You're just 
the step that I needed to take in order to be the chosen one. Right. So, which is just, again, so fucking egotistical. It's maddening. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He really shows us his whole ass here. (laughs) Yes, he he does. Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about politics and things that are fucked up. All right, so, so the mage is just a bloodthirsty, murderous motherfucker. And I was thinking about this because he's like multiple times like, oh, I'm not sorry for all of what I've done. And I'm like, you mean the multiple people you've murdered to get to this point? Mm-hmm. And I realize in the book, the people that he is responsible for their death, either very directly or indirectly are all women who are more powerful than he is <laughs> which yep. i don't know why this hasn't occurred to me until right now i'm like oh interesting <laughs> hmm wow that's so that's a thing isn't it and of course whatever um unnamed vampires we get and i mean that happened in the past because obviously he just sends all those people to their death the ones who went to Watford. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but all the name characters that we get that we know of that he's responsible for, it's just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Bro, your misogyny really just, really, it really just doesn't end, really, does it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the mage just says like a series of horrible things to Simon. He sure does. All right. So the ones that I noted down are. I thought I could salvage you. I thought I could fix you, but you weren't the right vessel. Followed by, you'll never be enough. It's not your fault. Which is like, the it's not your fault makes it worse. Like, you can't help it. You're just inadequate. Right. It's just, just, it's, yeah, just vomit. Just, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, on top of this, Okay, Simon isn't the chosen one. He's not the greatest mage. All right. You know what Simon has done? Been saving people's asses for the past seven years. Like, since he's 11 years old. Yeah. Um, That is really remarkable. And he's just like, whatever, doesn't matter. And it's like, wow, you suck. Yeah. Suck very much. And, ugh. It's probably a good thing that the Simon did not grow up with the mage. Like, can you imagine? Yeah. Like, dude, uh, would yeah. definitely just he'd be, he'd be he. I mean, he is a bad parent. He would be an even worse parent to a small child living under his care. Oh my god, so bad, so it, bad. It'd be real bad. Yeah. And I don't want to. And this isn't isn't to negate like Simon's trauma from growing up in like the foster care system which sucks. Right. I mean I think it's not it's not a competition. Thank you. It's, yeah. Yeah, I realize I said in like wait. I mean there's they're both bad. Yeah. There aren't good options unfortunately. Um, except for ones that are very spoilery so I would not talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, wait. I think it's your turn. Sorry. No, it's all right. All my things here are about to make. Okay. <laughs> so we're still going to be on tangent, um, I also, I had a, I had so many things highlighted that the mage just also just says to him that it's just like really gross. But I think kind of along what we were also just saying that the mage is basically just like, okay, Simon, I'm going to take your magic if you give it to me. And it's just like, uh, no, dude, no. Right. That is, like that is like the moment where Simon sort of comes back to himself, I feel like, in this chapter where he's like, takes us he's like i take a step back it's just like what <laughs> right yeah and it's just it's very alarming and considering we spent the previous episodes comparing like with when simon is giving baz magic or something very like tender and intimate it just i mean this the major's request would still be gross and alarming even without the sort of like you don't know what you're asking or if you do you don't care and that's atrocious mm-hmm. yeah that was a, a point that I had was like a question about what 
what the mage is intending here because he's like, I can relieve you. He says, I can help you. And I, my question is by help you, does he mean like take Simon's magic and just leave him like an empty shell? Oh, I feel like I don't think the mage even cares what happens to Simon after he takes all of his magic. Right. So yeah, he could be a shell. He could, he could die. Die. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I mean, I mean, the mage clearly doesn't care. Right. And it's just interesting that he's framing it as like, you're broken. Like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to, I'm going to relieve you of this. I'm going to, you know, this will be good for you. And it's like, you murdered Eb for this. I think he would have murdered Simon for it. In a heart, in a heartbeat. I think, I mean, honestly, I feel like if the mage didn't die in 83, he probably would have still, I don't think he, I don't know if he would have murdered Simon, but he would have tried to murder everyone in this room to like cover up what's happening. So totally. Yeah. He yeah. would have murdered Simon now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Cause he still wants Simon's power. Even after Simon's defeated the humdrum, the mage is like, no, give it to me. Cause yeah. it's at this point not even a little bit about defeating the humdrum anymore. He just wanted that fucking power. He wanted to believe that he was the chosen one. Yeah. Which, like, Simon is obviously the chosen one. He defeated the humdrum. <laughs> um. Yeah, but also, like, I mean, tricky nature's about prophecies and then being self... I mean, not being self-proclaimed, but, I mean, Simon didn't ask for all this shit to happen, but it's really the mage's fault for doing all this fucked up shit and, like abusing and murdering lucy and simon had to like be born having to inevitably deal with this problem that like isn't his isn't his fault but it's still his burden right what else do you have (sighs) just more about the mage uh and he's just like i want i also want this power to like make my fucking reforms which and then he goes off about i mean the pitches and I mean, sharing a bunch of the old families. And I'm just like, oh, you were going to murder everyone, I guess. Because you were like, oh, I got them all out of power. I have ultimate control. And they're still just like cockroaches. And I'm like, we are just going to like murder everyone? Like, that's, I'm like, that sounds like fascism. <laughs> You're trying to make all these like, what are actually structural changes all by yourself. And it's not working. And then you're like, guess I got to resort to violence. And I'm like, cool. And also, you know, on top of his ego egotistical his out of control ego i seriously like the only thing i can imagine as you're saying this is jafar (laughs) if you won't bow before a sultan then you will cower before a sorcerer i don't know that he was gonna go out and like murder the pitches but i think he was definitely gonna be like i now have so much power like what are you gonna do what war like i could destroy all of you without even trying yeah which is pretty much textbook fascism yeah Yeah. Uh. and it is hard to say but it it sounds like the old families probably would have gone to war with him totally war quote unquote as we've discussed it's hard to have a war with like 12 people but yeah you know they were gonna try their best it's really just more of a like it's really more like a fight Mm mm-hmm uh, I'm really just imagining Fiona out of nowhere with like some kind of like magical switchblade being like, I will kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Good old Fiona. <laughs> uh, that's actually all the things I have. <laughs> just complain okay. about what a terrible person age is. My last point is a maybe our last moment, maybe, of like mage nuance appreciation here because. What he tells us about how Watford was when Natasha Pitch was in charge is like she loved the past and, you know, she wasn't willing to change. He says the halls of Watford were empty. And like, once again, I want it on the record. I am here for almost all of the mages reforms. Like his goals were rooted in a good place like he he's making the reforms that we would make to Watford like we have the same politics as the mage in a lot of ways and I think that makes him such a good villain because it makes it so complicated and you know he he's he's gives this whole speech about how how Watford was before him but then he says Am I supposed to be sorry? I'm not sorry. What is the greater good? And, 
you know, that's it. Like, that's it's like that. That's where he went awry is being like, I'm gonna do this all by myself. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, just murder her and get her out of the way and like take charge because my I know that my politics are like morally good and right. But he enacted them wrong, and you you can have the best politics in the world, and you can still be a fucking fascist asshat <laughs> if you, you know don't have coalition building and yeah i mean this is also a little bit why i mean killmonger's like the best movie villain ever where you're like dude you are correct but you were really going about this the wrong way (laughs) my dude (laughs) like one of my worst like movie heartbreaks was being like no work together how dare you (laughs) don't oh god yeah yeah i've never rooted for a villain harder i think than i rooted for killmonger (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah he just really at the end of the day i'm like wow you should have gone to therapy as opposed to trying to um continue destroying nation states (laughs) and being a bit of a misogynist so yep you gotta you gotta have more than you gotta have more than one person right so i guess really in the end it was nakia who was right because she was just like let's think about this in a way where like everyone wins and mm-hmm. doesn't involve a bunch of people being murdered right caught in a landslide. welcome to caught in a landslide where we rant about stuff I have a couple of things. I have like two things. And one of them is just like, (laughs) I just kept imagining in the like, Maury Povich voice, like, Simon, you are not the chosen one. (laughs) And just like, cheering. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) beautiful yeah okay but jokes aside (laughs) i mean i don't know like obviously simon does not want to be the chosen one that's a lot of fucking pressure to put on a child but i think it's hard because it's still like simon is still a like hero and I just feel sad that he has all this like imposter syndrome about being the greatest mage and like the chosen one. But it's like, dude, you're still a hero and have done heroic things. And the fact that you even rolled up in here, you know, you'd be like, I need to stop. I need to save whatever we need saving. It's just like, you could have like, you and Penny could have flown your asses like away the fuck from whatever was happening. Yeah. And also like he is the chosen one. I know that he doesn't he doesn't start believing it again. It's like the mage says he isn't and he just like holds on to that. Yeah. But I mean the prophecy is one will come to end us and one will bring his fall. And whether the one who came to end them was the humdrum or the mage, or the humdrum and the mage, because the mage made the humdrum, yeah. Simon killed both of them. Like he brought the fall of both of the big bads. If that's the prophesied, if that if that was what the prophecy was foretelling, clearly Simon was the mage that was spoken of in the prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just I don't know. I guess it's just like I feel like I'm trying to talk. I feel like I'm trying to think through this thought, which is thinking about chosen ones and like in Simon's case, he is like doing all of the like heroic shit that you want a chosen one to be. And I feel like it kind of doesn't matter if he was a chosen one or not, because mm-hmm. like he, at the end of the day, like saved magic in this area and like is still alive. And at least at the end of this book has a very cute, happy ending with mm-hmm. his like hot vampire boyfriend. And I guess I just, I guess I just keep thinking about Star Wars and how in the prequel movies like Anakin Skywalker is supposed to is like prophesized as being like the greatest Jedi is gonna like do all this like stuff and he ends up being evil and like 
being a part of the instrument that murders all of the Jedi, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think also part of that is like this idea of like being this like prophesized powerful magician. Let's be real about how Star Wars is just space witches. Totally. And how sometimes that that, that pressure just goes terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. It, in the end, it's sort of, it's sort of like, yes, Annie Kaskarka did change the Jedi. Who knows it's for, if it's for the best or for the worst, but it is radically changed from <laughs> because of his actions in what is, I mean, not a great, not a great way. And it's just like, maybe you just shouldn't listen to prophecies about Chosen. <laughs> mm. It will only bring about ruin and destruction and death. I guess I don't know where I was going with that. It's just, it's just interesting the ways in which you can take a chosen one prophecy i guess and the effect Mm -hmm. that it has on the people who are prophesized and who are chosen ones and it just i mean in the end it fucks everyone up like there is not one fucked up chosen one in media at all because it is the fucking the shortest end of the stick yeah it's too much pressure and like i mean believing in fate that much i feel like is too much pressure because like god i can never remember which philosopher it was that like puts forth the theory of um free will that's like fate exists like we don't have free will but what we have is the perception of having free will and like that's all that matters like it doesn't matter at all if you actually have it as long as you experience having it Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's kind of taken away from chosen ones even if they still like in the moment are like i have to make a decision that feeling all the time is going to be very much there of like am i actually making this decision or was this decision always made for me because i was chosen like to be chosen fate has to exist and if fate exists then we don't have free will yeah and i think it also just puts pressure on the choices where it's like well i have to do the capital r right thing even if it is going to be detrimental to me as a person, which it always is. Right. I mean, I think we should all probably always try to do the capital R right thing. Is yeah. <laughs> even if, even if it's not, I mean, within reason, but yeah, it's just yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> no one should is. be chosen for anything. <laughs> Don't tell anyone about being <laughs> chosen. <laughs> That's so true. Like, <laughs> this is the weirdest example so when evan and i started dating he had this friend who um people were like like she was she was gone she was like studying abroad when we started dating and people his friends that i met kept being like oh it's like really good that she's not here because like you actually might have a chance of like staying together because she would like meet any of her friends new partners and immediately would be like, here's the reason you're going to break up with that person. And so they were like, she's gone for the next three months. Like, maybe she won't be able to, like, curse you, basically. And when I finally met her, I was like, hey, I've heard about you. What I want you to do is when we stop hanging out right now, you can go write down the reason that you think Evan and I are going to break up and keep it and then if we break up you can show him the piece of paper and figure out if you were right or not but like i have no reason to believe that you're not causing this by making people look for these faults in their partners which i think is why she really likes me (laughs) but that's like what if that was how people dealt with chosen ones was being like "Ooh, i know that this kid is the chosen one i'm definitely not going to tell them and like i'll just you know hang around whatever help them out if i can but like let them make their own decisions and like maybe they maybe they aren't the prophesied one in which case i'll find out by just letting their lives play out the way that they would otherwise you know yeah you would have i think the caveat to that is being a good witch about that and not being a bad witch like the mage or dumbledore so can i move to a new okay so i did want to talk briefly or maybe not, whatever, about the humdrum. I initially had this in Silhouette, but I don't know. I think, like, the humdrum is just really tragic. I don't think I'd ever in my previous rereads of this book fully appreciated how high up on the list of really tragic characters the humdrum actually is. But in this last chapter, 
we just get so much information from these like tiny little lines that he gives us about like he's really sad because he's never gonna grow up like he's it seems like just been here you know doing the things that he does to get Simon to go off to like you know make the hole bigger because he's just trying to like be able to grow and mature and like have a life and he's now that he's got solid form he's sort of like oh they're actually this is it like that's never gonna happen for me and it seems like that's been seriously tearing him up and that's really sad yeah it right it really reframes all of what we've heard about the humdrum and what we know about the humdrum up until this point i think that's an excellent point because i was actually thinking about this as like it's a little bit like a metaphor for like dealing with inner child slash childhood trauma Mm. work and especially because the humdrum is in is kind of self-aware of being like i'm just gonna be in this 11 this like 11 year old child form like that right like you said like that's it i could just Mm -hmm. become more present but that is it and Simon says this line where he's like, I'm sorry all the good stuff happened when I left you. And it's kind of like, I'm sorry all the good things happened later in my life and not when you were a child. Or like when I was, when we you could share it together when we were 11. And it just kind of like, I mean, this, and then the whole situation with Simon being like, I finally know how to get rid of the humdrum. But it's, I don't know. It's like, it's very sad. And like, also just like kind of intense. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know what my feelings are doing about it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, because like the humdrum is just like right, a kind of like hurt, like a hurt child, right? You know, and Simon right now is able to like, have the distance of being like several years older to be like, oh, like even like in this moment to be like, oh, I actually kind of see now what's happening. Right. Yeah, it totally is a like healing your inner child metaphor. You're right. So I love that we get the end scene where Simon and the Baz and the Baz and the mage and Baz are having this sort of like scuffle where, you know, the mage is trying to both kill Baz and presumably Simon and like Baz wants to eat the mage and Simon just wants everything to fucking stop for the love of god yeah uh we get this from penny's point of view because penny knows almost nothing about what is going on interpersonally between any of those three people Mm -hmm. but we know and so seeing it through her eyes is a joy (laughs) like i i don't i don't think it could have been a better like it's such a good choice from a writer's perspective like she does you know, she even tells us she doesn't know who Simon is saying no to in a moment where is it when he takes the mage's wand that he's been pointing at Baz and he like points it at himself instead. Yeah. And says no. And she's like, I don't know if he means Baz or the mage. It's just great. I don't know. I just really, really appreciated it. No, you're right. I actually hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it was it was a good it's a good it's a good narrative choice. Yeah. Welcome to I'm Just a Poor Boy, where we talk about ways you can support this podcast. And this week, we are talking about our October fun drive, in which uh, if you donate any amount to hashtag Ruthless Productions at hashtag Ruthless.com, I will be sending you a hand-created card with a spooky animal fact on it. Any, any amount you want, uh, you will get some cool spooky mail this October, or I guess depending on when you order one, uh, early November, as we are, this Halloween special is happening until the 31st. The cards are incredible, y'all. Like, Jesse sent me pictures of them and I flipped out. They're so, so good. <gasps> I broke out my uh, spooky uh, scrapbook paper to make these cards. And they're all just shades of black and gold and silver and gray. It's pretty incredible. And I would like to thank Alice and Kate 
for their most recent donations. Thank you so much, and I hope that you are excited about your um, animal fact. Welcome to Sends Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. Did you find any sexy stuff? I have zero. This is a negative sexy chapter. I want to say, Simon, with his wings, apparently decided at some point subconsciously to conjure himself the suit that Baz gave him. Oh, I didn't catch that. I was like, oh, you just conjured this suit out of nowhere. That's cute. No, it's the gray suit that Baz gave him to wear to Christmas dinner. Mm. Yeah, so I think that counts as sexy. Yeah, I know it does. <laughs> um, and then I want to give you part two of uh, Choose the Sexy Spells. Okay. Since we don't have a kiss kill improvise. <laughs> nope, sure don't. So, okay, here's the context. These are spells that you would use in a fully consensual... <laughs> everyone wants to be doing this and has consented situation okay you're gonna rate them from least likely that you would use it frequently to like you would use it the most frequently or if you want to rate it by a different scale that's fine too okay all right so here are your spells carry on carry on easy come easy go and simon says hmm okay all right i think um, Simon says, easy come, easy go, and carry on, carry on, are my in order. Okay. So, taking taking your advice from the last time we did this about Simon says as a sort of com- compulsion spell, or I feel like the kink possibilities of that, pretty A+. Plus. Uh, I feel like easy come, easy go is like, would be like A plus for masturbation. Whoa, you're so right. Yep. Yeah. And honestly, I'm not sure what I would use carry on, carry on for. And that's why it's like last. I'm just like, I'm actually not, I feel like. Spoken as someone who doesn't have sex with cis men. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) Yep. It would, it would be an excellent spell for. Stamina, as Simon says at the beginning of the book. Very true. All right. (laughs) Um, i wanted to also add like in the way that we one plays simon says like when you play it in school or whatever it's the like you know and then you'll say something where you don't start with simon says and then if the person does it you're like out right because it's like Mm. simon didn't say so the kink possibilities go up when you consider that too because that could be like a and now you get punished oh good point yeah fun fun all around yeah i think that could be a really great spell i agree (laughs) great good times (laughs) (laughs) welcome to is this just fantasy where we talk about what do we talk about magic and science and magical science do you want to you had said something earlier that i had brought up that you wanted to talk about do you want to start with that oh right about cliches being easy spells to cast yeah and which is i think both interesting and very funny because part of a cliche is that you're like oh like i've just heard this so many times it's just not creative or interesting anymore and the idea that those are like the it sounds like you know maybe like one of the most basic spells you can cast is very fine to me because yeah they're just used so frequently Mm -hmm. and i don't know maybe you just aren't as powerful i guess potentially what do you mean i don't know i guess i'm just i guess i'm just curious if something is just that common and almost like overused to the point where it was like a cliche that I wonder if it's because and I guess part of it is that is that we do get that fairy like not fairy tales like nursery rhymes are super powerful Mm -hmm. and I don't know I guess I guess I just feel like the difference between like a nursery rhyme and a 
cliche is I just think that I mean I guess as a writer I feel like cliches are like looked down upon mm-hmm. as being like oh okay like that is a varying and boring and trite like thing to put in a when you're writing like right if, you, if you're like a quote-unquote serious writer you're gonna be you trying to use something else and so I just wonder if maybe cliches as spells are just kind of like oh you cast I can't even think of a cliche right now <laughs> and just people being like oh okay like a literal baby could cast could cast a spell mm-hmm. so I don't know I guess I'm just like if it's easy to cast does that make it just like maybe not a super powerful spell yeah I I feel like it's either that or it's like super powerful because you mm. innately understand all of the nuances and it's said and thought about and repeated so frequently and so often that like normals are bored of it mm-hmm. so either it would have like all of the power or the fact that you don't have to like think very hard about it or like grasp for the nuance and stuff in the meanings that that would sort of de defang it a little bit but I don't know which one. Yeah, I don't know either. I guess I'm leaning towards it being not as powerful. But I think, honestly, I think it could go either way. And maybe it depends on the cliche. True. Can you imagine being able to cast it was a dark and stormy night, like during a drought? That would be incredible. <laughs> or maybe right as rain. Yeah. Interesting. Definitely. Um, okay, so we've been we've talked, I think, the last two episodes about you know, really digging into the reality of how magic works in the world and how Nico and the mage use magic in ways that Baz and Penny say, like, shouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And I think we see Penny do a... I I don't think Simon says is a spell. Like, if it only works on people that are named Simon, I don't think it's, you know, an official, like, she never learned this in school. I think she thought of it and used it in the same moment probably for the first time in her whole life that she's done that. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the, the description we get of how her magic feels when she's using it feels, like, different than I think we've gotten in. Like, she feels it from, like, a deeper place in her magic. Mm-hmm. And so I think I feel like you're, you're right about that. I guess I don't know how common of a name Simon is, but, yeah, like, you would... The instances in which you would use it would be very small but right in in this moment it's just like yes this is the correct (laughs) this is the correct thing to say right yeah i thought that was pretty cool yeah and then just simon is just like he just says some words because he's just like i this isn't even a creative thing and just like i literally just want you to stop hurting me Mm -hmm. oh yeah i know my heart i know (sighs) yeah my poor baby um I'm actually really glad that you brought up Aladdin earlier. Okay. (laughs) Because I actually have another point uh, kind of from Aladdin, the film. I will always bring up Aladdin for you whenever (laughs) you want. (laughs) So, okay. So we get in in Aladdin, the genie's like, there are three things that you can't wish for. You can't wish anyone back from the dead. You can't wish to fall in love. And you can't, was it wish for infinite wishes or? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that a lot of magical systems in different books ascribed to at least the first two where it's like you can't use magic to bring back the dead or to fall in love and we see this happening where as powerful as simon's magic is right now where he's just thinking of things and they happen maybe not even like necessarily consciously thinking of but sort of subconsciously thinking about it and they happen aren't bringing ed back hmm. and so so it's like never explicitly said in these in these books that like you can't you can't use magic to bring back people from the dead. But clearly that is one of the tenets of right. this magical series. And so, yeah, every time I think about it, I'm just like, yeah, everyone's just using genie from Aladdin rules. It's true. Although it's, I mean, I guess it's not explicitly stated, but that's like where everything goes wrong in a Wizard of Earthsea too is, wait, you haven't read that yet, have you? I've not read that yet. I need Never to. Mind. You really should. It's great. Well, and I mean, I guess unless you're like in a magical system that involves necromancy, but I mean, necromancy is still different than bringing someone fully back. Right. Yeah. In any, if, at least the things that I'm familiar with, it always comes with, like, even if you can do it, it comes with like a pretty hefty fucking price. Yeah. 
Although, and I do want to point out, Janie says, I can't bring people back from the dead and like turns into like a zombie and goes, it's not a pretty picture. I don't like doing it, which doesn't mean that he can't raise the dead. It's that it's bad news when he raises the dead and like that's off the table. Yeah, it's like not like you're bringing back the person whole. It's like you're either you're raising a zombie or a skeleton or just something that's just like that isn't what you thought you did that you were getting because what you want can't happen even under the tenets of magical powers right i mean think about the 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 stone yeah the resurrection stone yeah and harry potter like it brings his wife back you know she's not a zombie she's not you know horrible but she's just like i'm i'm dead like i was dead this isn't working for me yeah it's like i'm i guess i kind of always imagined it was a ghost maybe because of the movies but like yeah like you're you are this person back but they're they're aware that they're dead and that's a much different sort of a much different place (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know i don't think she's a ghost in the books but it's like she's described as being like sort of detached from who she really was in life Mm -hmm. like an imitation of herself yeah yeah so you want to talk about bohemian rhapsody as a magic stealing spell yeah i've i've um spent a lot of time trying to understand how this spell relates to stealing someone's magic and i Mm. don't know that i do and i want to talk it through yeah 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 all right let's talk it through i have i had this section pulled up because i think maybe i was having similar thoughts but so one thing that i did notice is that simon hears the mage doing easy come easy go little high little low and then simon just sort of like hovering for a minute trying to decide what to do and the next thing he reports to us hearing is carry on carry on there is a hell of a lot of song between those lines between easy come easy go and the first time that carry on comes up in the song yeah, sorry. I just pull. I pull up the lyrics because I'm like, I'm gonna need to have the lyrics pulled up in order for us to have this conversation. Sure. So that made me wonder if maybe the mage isn't casting the whole song, like if he's just casting pieces. But I don't know. I think I think that would make. I think that makes sense. I guess we could start off with maybe the mage is using. Select lyrics from Bohemian Rhapsody to both take Ebb's magic and also to get away with this horrendous crime that he is committing. Mm. And part of that is a sort of like, since there's a huge amount of lyrics in this song that are about someone who's like, I murdered someone and now I, and I don't want to go to jail or whatever, what have you. Or maybe it's like, I don't know. Maybe not, maybe not to get away with it, but maybe to not... I mean, I don't think he really has a conscience to have this on, but I guess I'm maybe wondering if he's trying to do multiple things at once. And since there are so many well-known lines in Bohemian Rhapsody, he's just sort of intuitively putting together that it will work for him on like a few different levels. Hmm. I mean, what are your thoughts? I can definitely see how... It could potentially be used as a, like, getting away with murder. I still don't... I can't... I just don't think I can figure out how this takes someone's magic. I can see, like, easy come, easy go being like, Eb was born with this power, she didn't work for it, and, like, it's gonna leave her just as easily. Yeah, the little high, little low part, though, is, I would say it's something that I'm, like, not sure how it fits into the rest of it, mm-hmm. especially the rest of the lines that we see being stated. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, like, the protagonist of this song really doesn't, like, end up in a very good place, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Or maybe not protagonist, but the, like, narrator or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I just have a hard time, like, is the mage... Because if you're using it to try and get away with murder, it, like, doesn't seem like that works out very well. That's fair. That is fair. Uh, All right, listeners, we need to hear from you. We need your thoughts and feelings and opinions on this. Yeah. 
I know. I'm like, something about this song that would like really, I'm just like, I don't feel like, I don't know if the lyrics are really like, ah, yes, I'm getting chosen one vibes from this song. Right. All right. Um, What else do you have? I just have one last thing, which is, uh, and Baz gives us a little bit of explanation about how the difficulty of On Love's Light Wings Mm -hmm. as a spell, uh, both linguistically and it's like, it only works if you're like ridiculously in love. Which I love so much. I know. It's so good. Um, So of course, looking up the reference to this, this is an adaptation of a line from, drumroll please, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Probably the most well-known book about people who are ridiculously in love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're teenagers, so you're kind of like, well, duh. <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, of course, the kind of like just difficulty of, you know, if you're performing Shakespeare of like the sounds of what Shakespearean Old English uh, words sound like versus what we, how we say these things today. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I thought, yeah. So an excellent, excellent choice of spell. And also like, oh, that's. I know. What's really interesting is that I spent a lot of time reading about the great vowel shift. Um, (laughs) Okay, I did not. So I'm actually very excited. So Shakespeare is Middle English. Um, Basically, love was already pronounced as love Mm -hmm. at the time that Shakespeare was writing. There's a lot of stuff in Shakespeare that, like, used to rhyme and doesn't anymore because, like, prove used to be pronounced pruv and move was, maybe that's not one of them, but there are, like, a lot of things that he used to rhyme with love that, like, don't rhyme anymore. Interesting. Okay. apparently, it wasn't love that was pronounced differently. It was the other words. People disagree on this, but the most consensus that I could find was that love was pronounced already, like, L-U-V when Shakespeare was writing and in this section of of this of the play it's like on love's light wings that I or perch these walls for stony limits cannot hold love out it's not rhyming like I I I don't actually think that you would need to understand the great vowel shift of the (laughs) 16th century or whatever to actually be able to cast this spell which bothers me more than it should So this is actually a correction. Yeah, I guess it's a correction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really appreciate you taking that that deep dive because I was like, I'm not going to like that. <laughs> I am fascinated by the existence of the Great Vowel Shift. Turns out is a thing that I learned about myself when I was researching this. There's a really fun video that I found the last time I was reading about this, but not today. I'll see if I can find it again, where this like Shakespeare scholar and like his son, who I think is a Shakespeare performer, the scholar like talks about the vowel shift and then like his son will like read pieces, like pieces of different Shakespeare plays with the way that words were pronounced when it was originally written to be like, look how different it is. Like, look how it comes across, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, um, I'm sure that someone maybe we'll write in and be like, no, actually, you do have to understand the Great Vowel Shift, in which case I would love to know. Yeah, please let us know. Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. All right, next time we will be reading chapters 84 and 85 and Penelope's first segment of the epilogue. Oh my god, we're so close to the end! I know, just one more episode after that. That is wild. I know. This podcast and our other podcast, The Gaily Prophet, are both creations of Hashtag Ruthless Productions and are produced, mixed, and edited by me. You can find both Escape from Reality and The Gaily Prophet on our website, hashtag ruthless.com. We are also on Instagram and Twitter at The Gaily Prophet. And if you join us on Patreon at the gaily prophet you can listen to our patreon inclusive show we are the gayers where we talk about another chosen one buffy the vampire slayer 
Yes. You can also listen to us talk about ADHD because uh, we did a cool Q&A episode for ADHD Awareness Month about our experiences with ADHD. And that was really fun. You can find me on Instagram at Lark Malachi or on my website, which is LarkMalachi.com. You can find me on Instagram at Live from Detroit or on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester and myself. The music and our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. The rest of the music is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And until next time, Scatamoosh! Scatamoosh.